When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Man, it's going to be a great day because we're going to be contributors to it. This is Saverin on Steelers. Hello to all in Steelers Nation. Welcome to Saverin on Steelers, our podcast. I'm Stan Saverin. I do the postgame show on the Pittsburgh Steelers radio network. Nice to have you with us. A lot of conversation about the Steelers' performance against Jacksonville. It was a winning performance, and as Mike Tomlin always says, it's better to learn lessons following a win than a loss. So a lot of good things to report, but the primary topic of concern was the performance of the offensive line, which wasn't good at any portion of the game, no matter who was in their first unit, second unit. As Coach Tomlin said, the Jacksonville Jaguars played the better overall game despite the fact that the Steelers came away with the one-point victory. And it's a point well taken. There were several Steeler offensive linemen who had very bad nights, primarily on the left side of the line. That would mean Dan Moore Jr., who gave up a sack in Game 1 against Seattle and was guilty again, and particularly Kendrick Green, third-round pick out of Illinois from a year ago, Played mostly guard in college, but played center. Did not have much success there. They moved him there to left guard, hoping that he would battle for the position with Kevin Dotson. And he had the number one position. He had the lead because Dotson had been hurt a good portion of training camp. But he's now seeded that, at least at this point, that number one status because of poor performance Two days after the game in Jacksonville, Mike Tomlin called out the entire offensive line, but in particular, Kendrick Green. It is an issue. It is largely disappointing because they spent a significant amount of money trying to bolster the offensive line by bringing in two pedigreed offensive linemen, meaning Mason Cole at center and particularly James Daniels at right guard. Now, Cole was fine, but Daniels has not been in either one of the first two games. In signing him, one would have assumed, and they're paying him like it, he was their best offensive lineman. If James Daniels isn't better than what he's been, then it was obviously not money well spent. But there are a couple of things to keep in mind here as the Steelers get ready to play their third and final preseason game against Detroit. 
Number one, it takes an offensive line thrown together like this, in essence with three brand new parts. It takes time to coalesce. Offensive line is the one position or one grouping of positions on a team where one fails, all fail. Yes, it's true that if a corner or a safety blows a coverage, the entire secondary and defense will suffer. But more consistently on the offensive line, if one of the five, maybe even include the tight end, fails to carry out his assignment properly, then chances are the entire play is going to get blown up. And so we saw collectively a terrible job against the run, at least as poor a job in pass protection. It takes time for them to work together. They've got one more game to do that. Trying to do that against Cincinnati on September 11th, it'll be too late by then. So the third exhibition game against Detroit and the subsequent weeks of practice could solve at least that issue partially. No guarantees, but it's something to keep in mind. Another factor to keep in mind, they have, and this has been the case multiple times over the last handful of years, a brand-new offensive line coach. Pat Meyer is the new coach. He is teaching a brand-new technique on how to use your hands, how to set, in general, how to play the position. Now, we can empathize with that in our everyday lives. Let's say, for example, that we do something in our daily lives that we've become fairly proficient at, pretty adept at, and somebody comes along and said, look, what you're doing now is okay. But if you do it this way, if you do it the way that I'm teaching it, eventually you will be that much better. And as the offensive line coach, he's teaching different techniques to guys who either A, have been doing what they do for a very long time, or B, have had multiple line coaches over the last three, four years. So you're used to doing it this way, and somebody comes along and says, if you do this, there may be a temporary setback, but once you do this consistently and do it by rote, you're going to be that much better for it. And I think it's reasonable to suggest that that is part of the growing pains for this offensive line. Now, that sounds like an excuse. It's not meant to be. I think it's a realistic look at what may be happening. Now, if it persists and they have the technique down pat, the way, no pun intended, Pat Meyer wants him to execute, then you look first and foremost at a lack of ability, a lack of talent. And that is 
an equal proposition to not adapting initially to the technique. It just might be that what we've seen is what we're likely to get, that they just aren't good enough. If that's the case, how much help can they get elsewhere at this late date? Well, there will be the final cutdowns in a couple of weeks. There already are some offensive linemen available based on preliminary cuts. But being honest about it, being maybe more than honest, realistic about it, offensive linemen are an extremely valuable commodity. I mean, I'm not going to put them on the same level as a corner back, shut down, or a quarter back, but they're very valuable. The point is, unless there's a severe salary cap issue, teams are not cutting them. It's a position where guys get hurt. You've seen it as football fans. Inadvertently, someone rolls up on the pile, lands in the back of their leg, a knee, an ankle. So if you've got a quality backup, you're not putting them on waivers to keep an extra linebacker. And as far as trade possibilities, again, who has a surplus of quality offensive linemen, and the Steelers could use an upgrade at every one of the five positions, but what team has that kind of surplus at that most valued position? Now, maybe summon off the waiver wire is better than what you have. That's fine. But does he really make an impact? Does he come in and make your offensive line that much better? And again, he might be the best guard on the Steelers, but does that mean he's a guard worthy of not leading, but helping a team get to the playoffs and winning playoff games? which the Steelers have not done for quite some time. I'm sure the Steelers scouts have their eyes on plenty. But how much of an impact might it be? The best bet is to rely on this group adapting to new techniques being taught and to coalescing into a solid unit. Because if you're playing as a solid unit, that makes up for some individual deficiencies. If everybody is hitting on these same cylinders, that makes you an effective offensive line, even if you don't have an Anthony Munoz or a Jonathan Ogden or a Marquise Pouncey or an Alan Fanica. It also begs the question... Would the Steelers have been better off drafting an offensive lineman in either the first or second round, either of the last two drafts? The problem with that is, and it's a second guess, but it's a fun topic to discuss among fans and 
even media types such as myself. But you can't have that discussion without keeping in mind what you wouldn't have if you had done that. Let's go to the 2021 draft. If they had taken an offensive lineman, and there was a lot of talk about that, in the first round, well, okay. But you wouldn't have Najee Harris. There was even more talk. Everybody was pretty convinced that they would take Najee Harris. But there was an awful lot of conversation because it was a very deep draft for tackles and for centers primarily. Pouncey had just retired. And everybody was surprised, maybe even shocked, when they took Pat Fryermuth. They could have taken Creed Humphrey, the All-American center out of Oklahoma. Now, there were concerns about his knees. That's one of the reasons he lasted until the second round, that and it was a deep draft for that position. So he goes on to Kansas City, and he's an immediate starter with a great offense with the Chiefs. But if you had taken him, would your offensive line be better? Yes, of course. But you also wouldn't have Pat Fryermuth. And Pat Fryermuth sure looks like he'll be the best Steelers tight end since the great Heath Miller. 2022. If you take an offensive lineman and there were some good tackles available, you wouldn't have Kenny Pickett. Pickett may or may not be the game one starter, but he is going to be the Steeler quarterback, hopefully, for 10 to 12 years. You wouldn't have him. Or if they drafted Pickett and then used their second-round pick on an offensive lineman, it would have bolstered the offensive line, but you wouldn't have the betting line favorite to win Offensive Rookie of the Year in the NFL in George Pickett. Pickens, excuse me. Would you trade an offensive lineman today for what we expect to see from George Pickens now and in years to come? It's a real dilemma. Bottom line here is they've drafted four skill positions the last two years, top two rounds, It ought to be pretty obvious what their number one pick, if not number one and number two picks, should be next year. Two games down, one preseason game to go. We're joined now by Alex Azor of Steelers Depot. Uh, Ray says, who's the offensive line coach? Should he be on the hot seat? He just got there. (laughs) Pat Meyer just got there. They've had five offensive line coaches in the last four seasons. Um, at some point, it ain't the coaching, it's the players. Alex Kazora of Steelers Depot joins me. Alex, welcome. Great to have you as always. Um, obviously, Dan Moore Jr. is taking a lot of heat, deservedly so. Kendrick Green, um, your colleague Josh Carney, had doubts about him at the draft. He's proven to be correct. But I wanted to start with, I think, the biggest disappointment uh, of all in the first two games that I've seen, uh, James Daniels. Uh, I called him out after the Seattle game. 
Um, I thought he was even worse. Uh, I wondered if you've had the chance to break down his performance. I really thought he was going to be a valuable addition. I'm with you, Stan, and thanks for having me on. I thought Daniels was a guy that I really wanted Pittsburgh to pursue this offseason. I was really happy whenever they, they did the deal with James Daniels, and he just looks really uncomfortable in that new offensive line coach, Pat Meyer system, which is going to require more aggressive and flatter pass sets overall. Um, it's hard to really tell exactly what some of the issues are, but I my, my concern with him started well before preseason games began, back in training camping and O-line, D-line, 1v1 battles where Chris Wormley took it to him basically every single time they would go against each other. So hopefully with reps and times and there's just more comfort that develops, but it just feels like maybe Daniels is being asked, asked to do different things in terms of his pass set and punch and things like that compared to what he did in Chicago, and that's probably leading to a lot of growing pains. But absolutely, he's been a big disappointment in this offensive line. You can hide a lot of bad things about your offense sometimes. You cannot hide a bad offensive line, and that's going to be the elephant in the room all season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, undoubtedly. Two questions about Daniels. Um, you mentioned Pat Meyer's system. How does that differ from what we've seen in the past? How does that differ from maybe what he did in Chicago? Yeah, I don't know exactly how Chicago taught it, but with the way that Pat Meyer teaches it is really aggressive pass sets. He wants guys to set flat, sometimes even set four. There was one example where, where Daniel Scott beat, and he has an on-body set where you're going to actually take about two steps forward, about two to four inches, you're going to gain ground, and you got to make first significant contact. It's the big phrase that Pat Meyer uses and James Daniels has not done a good enough job in terms of making that contact. His hands are too wide. They're too far outside. He's not getting a good punch, and he's losing those battles way too early. So it feels like the sets are a bit different. They're more, uh, you're not catching as much. You're not backing up. You're really trying to be aggressive when early, and Daniels has not been able to do that. So they, it really comes back to winning early, creating that first significant contact. If you're not doing that, you're not going to win. And uh, Daniels and really the rest of this offensive line have not been able to win early in these reps, and it's causing them to look really bad. Alex, I read this observation at the Seattle game. Uh, someone, and I, I fortunately it might have been you, I, I don't remember, to be honest with you, but offering up the possibility that Daniels played largely left guard in Chicago. Now they move him to the right side. Um, he's a Pro Bowl caliber guard at the left. Could that be part of his issue? Um, uh, in talking to our late friend Tunch, um, he's, switching sides is a big deal. Uh, people don't realize that. A lot of times, if you're the left on the left side of the line, you're using a left-handed stance. Um, if you're, uh, you know, you, you, the, the one foot is back, the one foot is forward, opposite from what you're doing on the right side. Um, is that a possibility? It is possible. And I think it's a really good point that you made. I remember Tunch used to talk about the, the, the switches that he made. In some ways, it might even honestly be easier for some of these guys to go left tackle to left guard than, say, left tackle to right tackle. Because mm -hmm. I remember Flozell Adams would say it was like writing with your other hand, you know, left hand versus right hand. So it's totally mirrored and there's an adjustment there. But, you know, Daniels was the right guard last year in Chicago, and I thought he played pretty well overall. So he may be more naturally comfortable left side. I don't really know for sure. He played center in Iowa as well but i mean he had good tape last year in chicago at right guard so maybe it's just the newness of a new team new scheme new coaching and hopefully things get better as you go along but certainly there can be an element of that i think about tj watt saying how much more comfortable he is at left outside linebacker than right outside linebacker so um that may be an issue but it's really hard to tell and again i thought daniels played much better at right guard last year than what he's playing at right guard uh so far this summer you know hopefully he's one of those veteran guys just takes him a while to get going uh, let's go to the other guards speaking of centers and guards um, uh, Kendrick Green did not have a good game. Uh, 
don't know if this is damning with faint praise, but I thought Dotson outplayed him Saturday night in Jacksonville. And that doesn't mean I think he's John Hanna, uh, but he was the better of the two. Um, is it time to start looking at Kendrick Green and saying, maybe this guy just can't play at this level? Yeah, I think, uh, and I'll take Chris Kamiatu at this point, not even John Hanna, because, I mean, they just need something that's more yeah. stable at left guard. Uh, <laughs> I, I think certainly both guys have, have not looked as good as I thought they would. You know, I think the, the issues that Kendrick Green had at center were going to you know, persist and remain the same at left guard. It may be his more natural spot, which it is, but if you struggle against bull rushes and power, and I don't think Pittsburgh's ever had small guards that have worked well. You think about the guys that have played well, the Castros, the Fanica, Steven, Ramon Fosters, they're all bigger, stronger kind of do. So I think Green, it's, it's a dice roll whenever he plays with good technique, and he's perfect with that, which he has to be because he's not a super long or, you know, terribly, you know, massive human being. Um, he's had some good tape out there, but whenever he loses, he loses poorly. But I thought Dawson struggled a, a fair amount in that game as well. I thought both guys did not play well at left guard, and they've been rotating. And unfortunately, there's been no clear-cut guy to be that starting left guard. It's been both guys even and both guys not playing as well as they need to be. So, I don't really know where that one goes. It'll probably be decided after this preseason game because neither guy's created separation for themselves. Uh, it makes you wonder if, um, and I'm sure they are, they were going to look at the waiver wire for other positions uh, or uh, you know, potential free agents, that kind of thing. Um, as you break down, I mean, if you're playing left tackle, um, it's a highly visible position. Uh, and And I'm wondering if you've had a chance to break down the tape on Dan Moore Jr., um, who I thought was adequate last year, but he's a rookie, okay. You figure there's going to be some improvement. His sophomore season, we haven't seen it yet. What's your evaluation of what you've seen from him uh, that everybody else has seen uh, highly visibly? Yeah, I thought his camp was all right. I thought he and Alex Highsmith had some really good battles against each other, but certainly these first two games, and in particular the Jacksonville contest, he struggled quite a bit. He's missing with his punch a lot. Uh, he, Pat Meyer generally teaches independent hands, so more high-low punches, not that traditional two-hand punch, but more is still two-hand punching a lot. And when you miss there, you know, you're whiffing because you have both hands being uh, shot out. And so you know, when DNs dip you and get around the edge, it's harder for that guy to recover. And so I think Moore's really struggled overall with his punch, his placement, and again, just not creating that solid first contact. I think, you know, again, in Pat Meyer's system, he wants guys who are going to be aggressive. Uh, his whole phrase is bring the fight to the pass rusher to really be attacking with your set and be aggressive. And I think Moore has struggled with some of that aggression. He's still working on dealing with power and anchor and, um, you know, the hop step they teach to, to defend bull rushes. He's not been as proficient there with maybe some other guys along this offensive line. So, again, I think he's still getting acclimated to the system, the scheme, this different way of doing things. But certainly he's got to clean up his hand use, clean up his punch. If you don't have a good punch in the NFL, I don't care, you know, how quick or athletic or whatever the case is. Uh, it all starts with your stance and your hands and your punch and more struggle in that regard. Yeah, game three, he's going to get Miles Garrett. Uh, so um, <laughs> right. uh, assuming he's still there at that point. Um, let, let's talk about the, some of the um, players I thought – uh, we're good, and I want your evaluation. Um, I really, uh, it was kind of a quiet, under-the-radar signing, but I really like the signing of DeMonte KZ. Uh, I thought he had a huge game on Saturday. What are your thoughts about him and how he fits? Yeah, I've been really happy with KZ's play. I talked to some Cowboys buddies who watched him in Dallas last year, and they were pretty down on him overall, but he was coming off that torn Achilles, and he looks like a much better guy. he be a couple years removed from that very serious foot injury. Um, he's physical. He's aggressive. He's a downhill guy. He's versatile. Played mostly you know, safety, free safety uh, this camp, but he can play 
slot corner. I think Pittsburgh's trying to find some ways to get him on the field. Trey Nord's working as that 60B in dime packages, but in that Jacksonville game, Pittsburgh had three safety sets against Jacksonville's bigger personnel. So that was Edmonds, Fitzpatrick, and Casey being on the field. So I think there are some ways that they can try to get Casey, um, you know, rotational snaps. And certainly if there are injuries that occur, he can wear a lot of hats and step in. So I think he's aggressive. He's physical, a little Mike Hilton-like in terms of his demeanor overall. He'll miss a couple tackles because he's a smaller guy and he tends to shoot pretty low. But whenever he hits you, he hits you and you go down pretty hard. So I think Casey's been a, a solid depth signing. And just overall, that secondary's got a lot of options, a lot of versatility and quality experience. And that's a good thing to have. Speaking of hard hitters, Mark Robinson, uh, again, with a, another big blow, um, obviously very inexperienced. But if you, I don't know, are you looking at it as a battle between Mark Robinson uh, and Buddy Johnson? I, I thought Buddy Johnson, he just looks terribly lost. Yeah, I think you've still got three guys fighting for two spots, Marcus Allen versus Mark Robinson and Buddy Johnson. And right now, I give the edge to Marcus Allen, though he's been hurt, but they know what he can do. And I give the edge to Mark Robinson clearly over Buddy Johnson. I think Johnson, as you said, has been a step slow to, to basically everything. I, the way that I kind of frame Mark Robinson is not every you know linebacker who can hit has been successful in Pittsburgh, but every successful linebacker in Pittsburgh has been able to hit. And Mark Robinson is that guy. He's drawn a lot of Vince Williams comparisons. I think those are pretty apt overall. He's aggressive. He's downhill. He's physical. And man, that, that, that crossing pattern, he blew up that receiver, knocked him back three yards late in that game. I mean, that's the type of stuff Pittsburgh is, is really yearning for. They're desperate for. So he's a raw guy, you know, one-year linebacker at Ole Miss. There's going to be work to do. I think he has to improve his play on special teams overall. But there are certainly traits and the demeanor and just mentality he plays with that screens Pittsburgh Steelers. So I'm really excited about Mark Robinson, a seventh-round pick, and what he can do, you know, say, next year. Yeah, that remind, he reminds me, that's what I said when I first saw him, uh, Vince Williams. Uh, who was good against the run, a terrific blitzer, had issues with pass coverage. But, uh, again, special teams will probably determine him. Um, in reading some of your analysis, um, I know you were very high on DeMarvin Leal. Yeah, Leal, you know, whenever they drafted him, I wasn't totally sure where he was going to fit. He was a bit of a tweener his last year at A&M. He was playing 280. They got his weight up to 300 pounds in Pittsburgh to play along kind of more true defensive line. And so I was just worried how a guy would look and move. Would he have the same quickness and burst that at, at 300 like he did at 280? But Lealish has proven that. He still looks quick and athletic, and he runs really hard at the football. You know, in Pittsburgh, you're going to play defensive line. You better chase after the football hard, and the Marvin Leal does. But he's got a really good pass rush plan overall. He wins in a variety of ways. Uh, back-to-back reps late in that Jacksonville game. He goes cross-shop to rip for the sack, and the next play he gets an inside spin to beat the right guard and gets a pressure, forces the incompletion. So that's a guy with a lot of tools and traits, probably needs to do a better job anchoring against the run and you know a lot to, to learn from him. But that Steelers defensive line room looks really deep overall, and Leal as a sub-package pass rusher may be able to make an impact in year number one. But certainly I see the traits and athleticism, and again, just really happy. He still looks like a quick, bursty kind of guy despite adding a good – 20 pounds. In, in, in general, uh, Alice, what is your thought uh, concerning uh, Isaiah Loudermilk? I think for him, well, he's, he's had a, a, he only played five snaps in that Jacksonville game. He had yeah. a rib injury he suffered during the week, and so I don't know if that limited him. I, I'm guessing that it did. You just kind of wondered where the pass rush ceiling for him would be. I think to be a starting defensive lineman in today's NFL, you have to get after the quarterback. You can't be just a run plugger. I think he's tightened up and focused his pass rush plan. You know, Last year he was trying cross chops and all these finesse moves 
he's a power rusher. He's the guy that's got to collapse the pocket and let the outside linebackers go to work. And he's shown more concentration with his bull rush and push pulls and things like that. So that's going to be his ticket. But I haven't just haven't gotten to really see him a whole lot just because he's been a little hampered by injury. But you just kind of wonder where that ceiling is at. And then just playing with consistently good leverage and staying low for a tall guy, that's going to be you know really key to him being a strong, steady force against the run. What's your thought on Jannard Avery? Is that the third linebacker they're looking for, or does the search continue? I think he's going to be the guy. I mean, could you upgrade over Avery? Sure. But, you know, who that guy is, I think it's going to be hard to find him. I was happy to see him out there after missing the opener against Seattle. He's got a really good first step. He's explosive. He runs hard. He's got good bend. Uh, He plays a little out of control. I think Pittsburgh's rush lane integrity in terms of containing the quarterbacks was a bit of an issue in that Jacksonville game. That's going to be important in AFC North where you're facing a lot of mobile and athletic quarterbacks. But I think he's number three. Tusker, you're number four. Uh, I think that's probably pretty well settled in that outside linebacker room. Uh, what are, in general, covering the NFL as you do, uh, people looking for offensive line hope, um, offensive linemen are invaluable. Uh, it seems to me that there aren't going to be guys who are cut, um, even for salary cap purposes, who would be suitable. Uh, and as far as making a trade for one, uh, what NFL team has such a, a surplus of good offensive linemen that they're willing to trade some of them. I, I just don't think the prospects look very good for that. I'm with you. Trying to find a good offensive lineman is scarce. Everyone's looking for him, and the few teams that have him aren't ready to give those guys away because they know they might need him with an injury or whatever the case pops up. So I, I don't know what those names could be. I think you probably look more guys who are on rosters now as opposed to some of the free agent names that have been tossed around. I think Pittsburgh will be active and explore things uh, when they make the cuts from 80 to 53 later this month. But uh, trying to find that starter that can come in from the cutdown wire, it's going to be tough to do. So I think this team will look to add, maybe try to find some backup guys that could, you know, ascend into roles later in the season. But I think right now, is, as difficult as it is to say, you just have to go with the group you have, let these guys get reps, make mistakes, grow from them, and, and hopefully they'll be a lot better come week one and throughout the season. But certainly, you know, you're not going to – there is no, you know – white knight coming in to save this offensive line. It's the guys you have, and you have to try to make it work. Could Joe Haig play guard and be better than either what they have at left guard now? He has played guard. He's a really versatile guy. I think that Pittsburgh's still more apt to go with either one of Green and Dotson and, and switch him out if, if that guy you know falters to start the season. Also, I just wonder if Joe Haig is healthy right now. He did not play in that uh, Jacksonville game. I don't know if that's a health thing. I assume that it is. Um, but I think you, there'll be questions about you know if Dan Moore struggles quite a bit during the season, do you make a move there? Moore certainly has to get better. So I think when it comes to – if you want to argue anyone at guard, it'd be John LeGlue, but I don't think he's the answer long-term either. I think yeah. you just have to see that, you know, and hope that Green and Dotson can eventually, you know, be that guy. And the last thing for you, Alex, we'll let you go, and thank you uh, for being here as always. Has anything that's transpired in the first two preseason games altered your perspective or Mike Tomlin's perspective relation in relation to the quarterback pecking order? 
I, I don't think too much. I still fully expect Mitch Trubisky to be the week one starter at Cincinnati. Kenny Pickett to be the number two, and then Mason Rudolph to be the three. I, I'll leave you with this, though, Stan. My whole thought on, you know, I always get asked the question, when do you play a rookie quarterback? You know, should it be week one? Do you start him right away? Do you let him sit for a year? My answer is very simple, when he's ready. And to me, Kenny Pickett is ready. He's checked all the boxes of a guy that is ready to run the show week one. So, again, I still expect Trubisky to be the guy because he's always, you know, been planned to be the guy. But Kenny Pickett's going to play sooner or later, so why wait? It's kind of my whole mentality to it. So, again, I expect Trubisky to be the one, Pickett to be the number two. We'll see if Rudolph gets traded or not. Um, but I think Kenny Pickett has shown all the traits and uh, the command and poise and accuracy to be a week one starter for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Do you think he should start game one? I do, because uh, he answered my question. He's ready to play. I think he's checked all the boxes you have to check from his command, leadership, running the offense, playing within structure, playing outside of structure, um, the progression that he's shown. He did not have a good first week of training camp, but since then he's really slowed things down and, and picked his play up, up, uh, picked his play up overall. And so I think he's, earn that spot. I mean, it's really going to be just a question of when Kenny Pickett will play, not if Kenny Pickett will play. And to me, if he's ready day one, then he's ready day one. And, and that's why you drafted him. Hmm. Well, this is informational. I've not had a chance um, to go back over uh, the game on DVR, but in the drive at the end of the second quarter, had Jacksonville gone with a second teamers defensively, especially along their front line? Yeah, I don't know their depth chart as well as Pittsburgh. I think they had half starters in, and I think some of the secondary guys were backups. I think I saw some comments from Jacksonville fans. So I think it was kind of a mix and match of okay. some first-team guys and second-team guys. But, I mean, that drive Pickett had was fantastic, and that's exactly how they repped that at training camp, a very similar set of circumstances in Pickett in the face of pressure that passed the Friday booth was, was on target. And so I just thought he handled that one like a pro, and those are some of the things he's doing that tells me he is week one ready. Many thanks to Alex Kazora of Steelers Depot. You can follow Alex, I promise you. You'll be glad you did. Uh, on Twitter, Alex, A-L-E-X, underscore Kazora, K-O-Z-O-R-A. That's on Twitter. And uh, take advantage of his uh, great insight. Savern on Steelers podcast, bringing you a couple per week. Um, always glad to have this opportunity to uh, talk with you. Um, you can catch me each weekday from noon until 2 Eastern Time on ESPN Pittsburgh, one of the flagship stations on the Pittsburgh Steelers Radio Network. That's it for Savern on Steelers. Until next time, so long, everybody. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.